is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. I think you're going to find this show very compelling, very educational today, so I hope you'll stick with me. We've gone over all these issues about the Logan Act. If you check my social sites, I already hit it three days ago, what John Kerry was doing. We've already hit this. We've already hit the Russians. We even pulled some of the audio from back when, when we said these these indictments were a clown show, was the phrase. Uh, As you know, we've been all over Mueller. We've been all over what took place in the Eastern District uh, of Virginia. So it's time to move the ball a little bit forward, don't you think? And so what is this all about? It's important to put things into some kind of a, a perspective. We go in and out of the weeds, and that's very, very important. What is this all about that's taking place right now? Now, I've called it a silent coup. But even more, what's this about? It's about impeachment. What do we know about impeachment? What do we know about impeachment? I'll tell you something. A few decades back, when uh, Congress was gearing up the House to impeach Bill Clinton, a buddy of mine at Landmark Legal Foundation, Eric Christensen and I, we go back boyhood buddies, um, we acquired a copy of the transcript of the impeachment proceedings against President Andrew Johnson. And we studied it. And we studied it. It's considered one of the great abominations. The impeachment of Johnson. And he survived removal by one vote of a Republican senator. Um, and people look back on that impeachment as really a, a political mob storm. It was after the Civil War. He was Lincoln's vice president. He was a Democrat, even though he was pro-union from Tennessee. He was a drunk. They tried to find reasons to take him out. But he never really committed impeachable offenses. So it was still the sting of the Civil War, still the, uh, still the resentments from that, and, of course, the assassination of uh, Lincoln. And... Um, Many of Lincoln's supporters felt that Andrew Johnson was not there to be president of the United States. He was simply there to help slightly balance the ticket when they ran. And so I'm preparing for today's show. I put aside all these links that I'd pulled together over the last three days. Judge rejects Mueller's request for delay in Russian troll farm case. Okay. DOJ Inspector General's testimony postponed amid new leads in Clinton case review. Okay. Special counsel hits snagging, bringing criminal case against Russians. No surprise there. House Intel report. McCabe said agents who interviewed Flynn didn't think he was lying. That we knew. 
Former acting Attorney General Yates suggests Flynn may have run afoul of criminal law. That's back in uh, March of 2017, and on and on and on. I can make a whole show of this and bore you stiff because I'm guessing I haven't been able to listen to all the others, but I'm guessing this is pretty much the these are the topics du jour. But I want to dig a little bit more heavily with you. We can circle back to some of that later on impeachment. One of the greatest books ever written about impeachment, and you might want to write this down because the talk show hosts will, is a book by Raoul Berger. I consider him really one of the great constitutional thinkers. Doesn't mean I agree with him all the time, but he was absolutely brilliant. And he has since deceased, obviously. And the book is called Impeachment, the Constitutional Problems. There's even more here than you probably care to know. There are other great books, too. But you notice what I'm doing because it's the responsible thing to do, particularly if you're younger and you're listening to me and you're going into a profession as law or whatever it is or an author. It is very, very important that you give credit where credit is due. It doesn't mean that you're any less worthy. It doesn't mean you're any less intelligent. It doesn't mean you won't do a good job. It's what you're supposed to do. I don't invent every idea I have. In fact, no philosopher has invented purely their ideas. They're typically built on somebody else's ideas, or they take a different approach to somebody else's ideas and so forth and so on. But the difference between a scholar and a plagiarist is a scholar recognizes that and tells you about it. Plagiarist doesn't. So I want to read a little bit to you from this, and I promise it'll be interesting, particularly in the context of what's going on today, because this is relevant. This is what's going to happen. If the Democrats take the House of Representatives, and Mr. Producer, mark the date so we have this prepared in the future where we, we try to lay the foundation so you can start thinking about this, talking about it, researching it on your own, and we're not waiting for the next article you know, to quote somebody else. Now, what does the Constitution say? Article 2, Section 4. The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. Now, there's been a lot of discussion about all this. What does all that mean? What does all that mean? Now, one thing it does not mean is that these are criminal charges even though the phraseology in modern terms has criminal implications like misdemeanors and so forth, bribery, that was never the intention. The framers separated impeachment from subsequent criminal prosecution. They made it clear that somebody can be impeached and afterwards be charged, depending on what the issues are. But there's no overlap whatsoever. None. The phrase high crimes and misdemeanors, as Berger points out, is first met not in an ordinary criminal proceeding, but listen to this, but in an impeachment, that of the Earl of Suffolk in 1386. In 1386. Now, high crimes and misdemeanors appear to be words of art confined to impeachments without roots in the ordinary criminal law in which, so far as 
Professor Berger could discover have no relation to whether an indictment would lie in the particular circumstances. No relationship. And you can understand that in the United States, if you look at our Constitution, too, there's, there's a, a number of protections for the individual with respect to prosecutions, right? Due process, probable cause, warrants, all these other things, uh, uh, trial by jury, speedy trial. That has nothing to do <coughs> excuse me, with the impeachment process, nothing. So what is the scope of this, this, this phrase, high crimes and misdemeanors and the rest of it? What does it mean? Well, in order to figure out what it means, we have to look at history. The framers of the Constitution only had history to guide them. They weren't looking at statutes. There were no statutes. They were looking at history to guide them. And they looked at British common law. And they also looked at examples of impeachments. Now, what did they find? Well, you can reduce it to the categories of instances and where there were impeachments. Misapplication of funds. Abuse of official power. Neglect of duty. Encroachment on or contempts against parliaments prerogatives, and of course, flat-out corruption, flat-out corruption, and these are impeachments involving the Earl of of Suffolk, the Duke of Suffolk, Uh, and it goes on and on and on, And, and the history has been examined. Now, what do we make of this? Broadly speaking, these categories may be taken to outline the boundaries of the phrase high crimes and misdemeanors at the time the Constitution was adopted. The importance of these categories for our our law derives from two facts. When the framers employed language having a common law meaning, it was expected that those terms would be given their common law content, not modern interpretation. And they considered that the phrase had a limited technical meaning. You will hear people today say impeachment is whatever Congress says it is. That's not what the framers intended. That's not what they wrote in the Constitution. Those words had at least a generally understood meaning and nomenclature in British experience. And that's where they got it from. And they went back and forth. The British used uh, high misdemeanors. They rejected that language. High treason. They rejected that language. So they worked the language. But there's no question where they got the ideas from. Remember, Article 2, Section 4. The president, vice president, and all civil officers. uh, This will all make sense. Just stick with me. And all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. The path by which the framers arrived at this language is traceable in the records of the convention. Initially, impeachment was to be based upon malpractice or neglect neglect of duty. In the Committee of Detail, this became treason, bribery, or corruption, and was then reduced by the Committee of Eleven to treason or bribery. When George Mason suggested on the floor of the convention the addition of maladministration, James Madison remarked that it was so vague, whereupon Mason substituted high crimes and misdemeanors. 
which was adopted without objection. So maladministration was too broad, too vague. It could mean anything, said Madison, and the convention agreed. So impeachment just can't be for anything. Politics can be the motivation. Politics can be the motivation behind an impeachment. But impeachment for politics is not what the framers had in mind. Impeachment as a criminal proceeding? No. Now, removal would enable the government to replace an unfit officer with a proper person, leaving punishment to a later and separate proceeding if indeed the impeachable offense were punishable at all. This distinction was drawn by many of the delegates to the various state conventions. It was drawn in Virginia Convention by George Nicholas between disqualification from office and further punishment as an example. So there's no relationship between impeachment and criminal enforcement whatsoever. Stay with me. I'm doing this for a reason. Are there limits on high crimes and misdemeanors in addition to what I just said? Again, before Mason moved to add maladministration to treason bribery, he explained that treason is defined in the Constitution will not reach many great and dangerous offenses. Attempts to subvert the Constitution may not be treason as, as defined. It is the more necessary to... In other words, he's concerned that treason's just too narrow. It's too limited. So Mason, in other words, would be a dead letter. So Mason proposed to extend the power of impeachment to reach great and dangerous offenses. Attempts to subvert the Constitution by adding maladministration. But Madison, again, said that so vague a term will be... Equi- this is a quote. So vague a term will be equivalent to a tenure during the pleasure of the Senate. They did not want the president to serve at the pleasure of the Senate because they had separation of powers. So they're struggling with the idea of separation of powers, but they didn't want an all-powerful president because they had dealt with the monarchy. So high crimes and misdemeanors was accepted in the place of maladministration. And they're generally understood, again, in the context of the day, the intent of the day, which was reliance on British common law. So this substitution was made for the purpose of limiting, not expanding the additional Mason proposal. This, this particular adoption was to limit, not expand. So they rejected maladministration. The design of the framers of the Constitution confer a limited power is confirmed by the rejection of removal by address which knew no limits so they reject that too now even so some uneasiness apparently was excited by the breath of the power for there were repeated assurances that impeachment was meant only for great injuries great misdemeanors James Iredell later a Supreme Court justice told the North Carolina Convention that the occasion for its exercise at his impeachment will arise from acts of great injury to the community. Impeachment, said Governor Johnston in convention, is a mode of trial pointed out for great misdemeanors against the public. So in other words, it's not to be used frivolously to just remove an elected president by an opposing party for political reasons. Now I want to continue with this. Stay with me because there's a train of thought here. We'll be right back. (laughs) 
segment for me to talk about the russia case which i will briefly later or these other issues is for me to circle back see we've already hit all this stuff but i have to circle back just to put these elements back in i don't need to bring guests on to tell us what we've already discussed i have a unique knowledge base and background so i can just discuss it myself and so my only point to is this. These other issues are relevant, but we need the broader context, which is why the day after the election, I already knew they wanted to remove this man. I already knew uh, all about uh, in March about the uh, domestic surveillance. It's experience. It's knowledge. It's not prescience. prescience it's, not, it's not predictability. It just is what it is. And uh, the domestic surveillance, the law enforcement violations, the FISA Act and all that, we've already... We've hit that stuff, and we hit it early on. We'll circle back a little bit, but I don't want to belabor it. I want us to talk about what's coming in the future and how we deal with it. I'll be right back. With the daily fake news dump pouring through your TV, mobile phones and computers, you may have missed some real news like the recent study in the journal Cell Metabolism. Scientists suspected a correlation between growing rates of obesity and processed foods But what this study discovered was that these foods also appear to lead people to overeat. Here's the bottom line. You need fresh fruits and vegetables in your diet, which is why I recommend that you start taking Field of Greens by Brickhouse Nutrition. Just one scoop of Field of Greens has a full serving of real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. It helps boost your immunity using antioxidants, prebiotics, and probiotics. This is real food, not some fake supplement lab powder. Just read the nutrition facts panel on the side. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, that's BrickHouseLevin.com, and you'll get 15% off your first order with the offer code LEVIN. You know you're not going to start cooking fresh fruits and vegetables, so let's not pretend. Just get one full cup of fruits and one full cup of vegetables every day with Field of Greens. Go to BrickHouseLevin.com, BrickHouseLevin.com, offer code LEVIN. Mark Levin, a champion of freedom. You know, you're one of the greatest champions of freedom in this country, if not in the English-speaking world, Mark. Call Mark at 877-381-3811. In virtually every case, ladies and gentlemen... The delegates to the various state conventions, ratification conventions of the Constitution, including those, some of whom attended the, the convention, the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia beforehand, uh, said that impeachment is to be used only in the most serious matters. And yet, there needs to be impeachment to keep a president in check. But there's some commentary that goes on out there, but people who are unmoored from this history, who haven't taken the time to really delve into it, and they shoot from the hip, and that's very troubling to me, as we've seen all along this Mueller investigation, same thing. And it's this. It's not a purely political act. It may be purely motivated by politics. It's a constitutional act. It is a constitutional act. 
And legislatures can be tyrannical, too. Jefferson wrote about it at length, so have many others. And the framers of the Constitution were concerned about tyrannical legislatures as much as they were concerned about a tyrannical king. Which is why we do not have a pure democracy. We have a representative republic, and we have federalism. And, of course, subsequently a Bill of Rights intended to protect us from a centralized government as well as the mob. And so they didn't want the mob to be able to force a president out for purely political reasons. And if the mob does that, whether it's this case or any other case, that has no more legitimacy under the Constitution as other unconstitutional acts. James Wilson, one of the most outspoken and active delegates to the Constitutional Convention and the Pennsylvania Convention, he said he hoped that impeachments will seldom happen. But the point is, it's inferable from all of these men that that was the intention. Not that it would be impossible, of course. But it would be rare and, of course, difficult. Because in the Senate, as you know, you need two-thirds to vote to convict. So the net effect of their remarks is to preclude, as Professor Berger writes, resort to impeachment of the president for petty misconduct. Hamilton's reference to the quote, awful discretion which a court of impeachment must necessarily have to doom or to honor or to infamy the most confidential and the most distinguished characters of the community, unquote, goes beyond the presidency even. They did not want the Senate to have unlimited power to remove a president. They did not want a president have to deign to the Senate in order to hold office. Now, they also made the point, did our framers, as Professor Berger points out, that there's a big difference between impeaching a president and impeaching anybody else. And they were mostly focused on the presidency. In fact, the word judge doesn't even appear in the impeachment clause. Now, why is that? Because removal of a district judge or even a single justice does not have nearly the same impact on the country, does it? No. And the frustrations that may accumulate when succession to a president selected by the people at a nationwide election falls to one whom the electorate did not really contemplate in the presidency is quite different, isn't it? An impeachment nullifies an election or the outcome of an election. That is the impeachment of a president. The impeachment of a judge, obviously it's not in any respect the same thing. Doesn't mean there shouldn't be impeachments. Just means there need to be impeachments for the right reason. That's the point. The critical focus, the critical focus, to sum up, should not be on political animus. As Professor Berger puts, that's the nature of the beast, but on whether Congress is proceeding with the limits of high crimes and misdemeanors as laid out by our history. Now, we'll get into this more down the road, but why am I taking time to even touch this on a Monday evening 
when we're supposed to be chasing the uh, Russian judge case and the rest of it. Why? You know why, because you're smart. Because we're going to have to get to this at some point. We need to get to it now. But there's another reason. This is a companion argument. I've been making the argument for a year now that according to the Department of Justice's own memoranda, two memorandum, that the position of the United States Department of Justice is you cannot indict a sitting president. And their position is based largely on the notion, not, not exclusively, that we have the impeachment clause. That if you're going to remove a president, you've got to go through the impeachment process. And even through the impeachment process, as I just related to you, it's not a purely political process. It's a constitutional process, and there's supposed to be real standards. Not statutory, not codified. We got that. But it's not unmoored from our history. And our framers were not unmoored from British history. Because that's where they got the phraseology, in fact, altered it somewhat in the history for removing officials. Here's the key. Here's the key. Here's the fortune cookie. Impeachment can lie for non-indictable offenses. But indictments do not lie in lieu of impeachment. In other words, a federal prosecutor, I don't care if they're special counsel, I don't care whom they are, cannot cannot serve to remove a president of the United States directly or effectively the only way in which a president can be removed is through our constitution through the impeachment process not through inferred powers implied powers handed to a special counsel or a U.S. attorney or any of this sort I barely touched I barely elaborated on the impeachment clause in the history. They struggled with it. They balanced. They tried to figure out the best way to do it. Do you think they would have handed that responsibility off to a single bureaucrat to determine whether or not a president of the United States remains in office? Now, once a president leaves office, whether he's defeated, whether his terms have ended, whether he's impeached, then he's just another citizen. But while he's president, he's not just another citizen. As the framers understood, and you and I understand. As the framers understood, and you and I understand. Impeachment can lie for non-indictable offenses, but indictment does not lie in lieu of impeachment. One prosecutor cannot determine, cannot determine the character of an entire branch of government. It would not have even been imagined, contemplated by the framers of your constitution. It's your constitution or the delegates at the ratification conventions. Period. The impeachment language has actual meaning. It's not purely political function. It's a constitutional function, although it can be motivated by politics and certainly abused, of course. Now let's get to the prosecutor. Can the prosecutor subpoena president in a criminal case? 
Can the prosecutor subpoena? I'm not saying challenge the subpoena. We have former federal prosecutors saying, well, of course he can. Why can't he? He can raise defenses. Well, if the special counsel was appointed illegitimately, if the special counsel's responsibility under the regulations for appointing a special counsel are illegitimate or so broad as to not have any limited uh, boundaries, then I don't even understand the argument. I'm, forget about what the courts would do. I'm sure they would say yes. But I'm not talking about it from a court's point of view. I'm talking about it from a scholarship point of view. If the appointment of the special counsel is defective because the special counsel is not investigating crimes, because the special counsel hasn't been given specific crimes to investigate, and if the argument is, therefore, his very appointment violates Department of Justice regulations, well, if he and his very existence violates Department of Justice regulations, then how does a subpoena from somebody who is there illegitimately hold water? Now, if you're saying that he physically can issue a subpoena, well, of course he can physically issue a subpoena. Now, next point. He issues a subpoena. Who has been saying to you since June of last year, multiple appearances on Fox behind this microphone, that if, in fact, this president is subpoenaed, He should fight it all the way to the Supreme Court. You bet. Why? Well, what have I said? There's no crime. There's no crime. There's no statute. There's no anything. Nothing. We cannot have roving prosecutors issuing subpoenas against the president. What's to stop the U.S. attorney... What's to stop a U.S. attorney in any city in America from issuing a subpoena involving the President of the United States? Oh, he has to go through Maine justice? Forget it. I'm not talking about that. What is to stop a United States attorney from issuing a subpoena against the President of the United States where there's no criminal basis? There's no crime alleged. This is the problem. We're being so dismissive about whether or not a subpoena can even be issued in a case like this. This president hasn't even been accused of a crime. We don't even know what they're investigating for, truth be told. And in fact, a couple months ago when I was on my buddy Hannity's TV show, I said he's investigating nothing. Mueller's investigating nothing and everything. Now, This is particularly pernicious, particularly pernicious. When you listen, when you heard me explain the impeachment clause, I'm trying to drive this home as best as I know how, ladies and gentlemen. It's particularly pernicious because in this case, no crime alleged, no criminal statute. We have an impeachment clause where the framers and the ratifiers spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to deal with a president in case a president needed to be removed. And here we have a bureaucrat prosecutor who wants to question the president about his intent 
in part in firing officials who report to him. The abuse of power here is like nothing I've ever seen, ever. Like nothing I have ever seen. And what's the purpose of this subpoena? It's not to get to the truth. It's not to get to the facts. It's totally illegitimate in many respects in terms of what he's trying to inquire. The purpose of the subpoena is to indict, to catch the president in a confusing statement, to entrap him. This is why I go back to the phrase that I keep using over and over and over again, a silent coup as opposed to a violent coup, a silent coup, which is intended to undermine our constitutional order, which is also why I keep saying I'm sick and tired of these members of Congress, these Republicans, who will not insert themselves into this process under Article I of the Constitution to have some oversight in what's taking place in the executive branch with respect to the Department of Justice and the special counsel as it applies to the constitutional problems that they are creating. Instead, we have four Republican United States senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee who vote to protect the perpetrator, Mueller. More when I return. Lovin. I see, uh, I see talk show hosts and TV hosts and newspaper columnists now are back into supporting Mike Flynn. Remember that, Mr. Producer? Remember when he was fired? Maybe Remember how quick they were to condemn him? It's incredible what goes on. And people, they don't want you to remember their positions. I think it's important that people have intellectual integrity and some level of substantive consistency. I stood here and spoke up for Manafort. I don't know what Manafort did. I don't know what Manafort didn't do. But I know what was being done to him, and I knew what was being done to him. Me, the only one. Mike Flynn was fired. I came to Mike Flynn's defense. Nobody else was coming to Mike Flynn's defense. They wrote him off, sent him away. I said, no. I'm not doing this. I'm not writing him off and sending him away. Now they're back to Mike Flynn. It's appalling. This is why the left wins all the time. This is why the left wins all the time. When people with cameras and microphones and pens are so quick to bounce around like ping pong balls, what do you expect? Lieutenant General Mike Flynn, was there any question in anybody's mind that the man had integrity? Was there any question in anybody's mind when, Manif- when uh, Mueller did what he did to Manafort that he does not have integrity? It's as simple as that. More in a moment. It's no secret that I love my Casper mattress. It's a great mattress. Their engineers have done a marvelous job creating an exceptionally comfortable sleep experience. And it made falling into bed a whole new experience. Get a Casper And you'll understand why it's not just my favorite mattress. It's the favorite mattress of my family. And by the way, it's the favorite mattress on the Internet. Casper has three unique mattresses to help you sleep cool and comfortable year-round. The Wave is engineered to relieve pressure at 36 different points. The original Casper is more breathable and comfortable than ever. And the Essential is innovation at a great, great price point. 
All mattresses are designed to coddle and comfort your every move. Plus, provide the perfect support for every position you sleep in. Discover why Casper has hundreds of thousands of happy customers like me. Try your Casper mattress for 100 nights in your own home with free shipping and returns. Go to casper.com slash mark and use code mark to save $50 on the purchase of select mattresses. That's casper.com slash mark, code mark, to save $50. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. By the way, hope you had a chance to watch Life, Liberty, and Levin last night with the great Dan Bongino, the great Joe DeGenova, and me, and the chemistry between Bongino and DeGenova was terrific on and off the set. On and off the set. And I tried, and we certainly did, I think, with all of us, cover an enormous amount of territory, and I think in a very compelling way. So uh, I hope you had an opportunity to watch that. And guess who I'm interviewing next, Mr. Producer? Gary Sinise. Gary Sinise. One of the great patriots. So we move around on that program. You know, we're not going to just be predictable. We're going to move around, as I said we would, some of the great people in the land, some you've heard of, some you haven't. Some hot issues, some issues that are a little bit more intense and intellectual. But we're having a blast, and I hope you are too. Just stay with us. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Pardon me for that. 877-381-3811. By the way, all this talk about, as more and more is revealed of the redactions of the government, the FBI and the Department of Justice, it's obvious they were covering their tracks, covering their tracks. How brilliant it is that people are revealing this. No, 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 no. The man who has been pressing the most to get this information released to the American people is not anyone on TV or radio or no writer. It's Devin Nunes. Devin Nunes is the one who deserves to be praised as a real hero here, as he was with the unmasking. Devin Nunes is an exceptional public servant, and they're trying to take him out in his district in California. I want you to think about that. It's easy to talk about these things and write about these things. This guy's doing things. So it's Devin Nunes who has been effective to the extent he can be in getting these redactions removed. It's Devin Nunes who's threatening the Attorney General with contempt while people second-guess him and condemn him, much as they did Mike Flynn, much as they did Manafort's lawyers who originally brought their case in a civil case in Washington, D.C. and were condemned for it, that it was frivolous. And yet, They're trying to do everything they can for their client, and then they brought essentially the similar arguments into the criminal court in the Eastern District of Virginia. 
<clears throat> now, I'm not sure what this Judge Ellis is going to do. I don't know if he's just a blowhard or what. But I'll tell you what, having said what he said, if he turns out to be a blowhard, he deserves our contempt. I'm going to do something I've never done before here. I think it'll be interesting. And radio gives you the opportunity to do something like this. So I hope you'll turn up the volume on whatever device you're listening to. I'm going to read to you much of the actual transcript of what took place in that courtroom Friday. Not the media reports, not the headlines, the actual transcript of what took place in that courtroom. As if you're sitting there and you're watching and listening to this. I'm hoping this will be very, very compelling. It was as I read it. So remember now, an attorney by the name of Downing has brought this case on behalf of his client, Paul Manafort, challenging the authority of the special counsel. And he represents Manafort, and a guy by the name of Dreben, D-R-E-E-B-E-N, represents the special counsel. So here's the court. All right, thank you. The matter's before the court today on your motion, Mr. Downing, Manafort's lawyer. So you may begin. He says, I have some knowledge. Let me ask a few facts. This is the judge. So I can be clear. Let me ask the government, or not the government, the special counsel a few questions. Mr. Dreben, yes, Your Honor. All right, the indictment against Mr. Manafort was filed in February, but it actually was annotated by a filing in the District of Columbia. <clears throat> These allegations of bank fraud, false income tax returns, of failure to register a report, rather, failure to file reports of foreign bank accounts and bank fraud. These go back to 2005, 2007, and so forth. Clearly, this investigation in Mr. Manafort's bank loans and so forth antedated the appointment of any special prosecutor and therefore must have been underway in the Department of Justice for some considerable period before the letter of appointment, which is dated 17th of May, 2017. Am I correct, Mr. Dreeben, for the special counsel? That is correct, Your Honor. All right, the judge says, so when the special prosecutor was appointed, and I have the letter of appointment in front of me, what did they do? Turn over their file on their investigation of Mr. Manafort to you all? Mr. Dreeben, essentially, Your Honor... Special counsel was appointed to conduct an investigation. The court, I'm sorry, answer my question. Do you remember what my question was? Yes, Your Honor. And I was attempting to answer your question. We did acquire this ver the, the various investigatory leads, threads, that related to Mr. Manafort upon the appointment of the special counsel. <clears throat> the judge. Apparently, if I look at the indictment, None of that information has anything to do with links or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of Donald Trump. That seems to me to be obvious because they all along predate any contact or any affiliation of this defendant with the campaign. So I don't see what relation this indictment has with anything the special prosecutor is authorized to invest, investigate. Looks to me instead that what is happening is that this investigation was underway. It had something. The special prosecutor took it, got indictments, and then in a time-honored practice, which I'm fully familiar with that exists largely in the drug area, if you get somebody in a conspiracy and get something against them, you can then tighten the screws and they will begin to provide information in what you're really interested in. That seems to me to be what's happening here. I'm not saying it's illegitimate, but I think we ought to be very clear about these facts and what's happening. Now, I think you've already conceded appropriately that this investigation that has led to this indictment 
long antedated the appointment of a special prosecutor, that it doesn't have anything to do with Russia or the campaign, and that he's indicted, and it's useful, as in many cases by prosecutors, to exert leverage on a defendant so that the defendant will turn and provide information on what is really the focus of the special prosecutor. Where am I wrong in that regard? Mr. Dreeben, for the special counsel. The issue, I think, before you is whether Mr. Manafort can dismiss the indictment based on his claim. Yes, now I asked you, where am I wrong about that? Your Honor, our investigatory scope does cover the activities that led to the indictment in this case. It covers bank fraud in 2005 and 2007? Yes. Well, tell me. Well, Your Honor, the authorization for the special counsel to investigate matters is described generally in the appointment order on May. I have it right in front of me, and it won't surprise you to learn that I'm fully familiar with it. My question to you was, how does bank fraud and these other things that go back to 2005, 2007, how does that have anything to do with links and or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of Trump? Mr. Dreeden. So the authorization order permits investigation of two different things that are described in separate clauses. The first are links and coordination between individuals associated with the Trump campaign and the Russian government's effort to influence the election. Mr. Manafort was a campaign official. The court, you're running away from my question again. You know, I'm focused on the indictment that is here. It involves facts and circumstances that go back as far as 2005 and come forward. Mr. Manafort's loans from several banks that you all claim he submitted fraudulent statements. I'm asking you, and I've already established this investigation long predated the special prosecutor. And so what is really going on, it seems to me, is that this indictment is used as a means of exerting pressure on the defendant to give you information that really is in your appointment. But it itself has nothing whatever to do with your appointment. Well, Your Honor, I understand the question. I'm trying to explain why I think that it does have to do with our investigatory scope. And I think there are a couple of premises that may help illuminate what uh, that investigatory scope is. The first one is that in examining an individual who was associated with the Trump campaign and did have Russian-affiliated connections, which Mr. Manafort did, are they Russian or Ukrainian? Well, they're both. Mr. Manafort worked extensively in Ukraine, and he also has business connections and other connections to individuals associated with Russia. In following the leads from those things, investigators want to understand the full scope of his relationship, how he was paid, with whom he associated, what happened to the money. And that leads to the activities that are at issue in this indictment. Well, it didn't lead to that. This was given to you by the Department of Justice. The investigation was already well underway going back to 2005. Am I correct? Well, I think, Your Honor, the investigation has developed considerably with the special counsel. Wasn't it, the judge says, wasn't it already in existence in the Department of Justice and they gave it to you when you all were appointed? Well, there were investigations that were in existence, yes, but those investigations were folded together with our overall examination of Mr. Manafort's conduct that fits within B.I., All right, do you have it in front of you? Yes, all right. I think you would agree, the judge says, that the indictment that we have before the court is not triggered by I, which says, quote, any links and or coordination between the Russian government and individuals associated with the campaign of President Donald Trump, unquote. Bank fraud is 2005, and other things had nothing whatever to do with that. 
<clears throat> so then you go to number two, the judge says. It says, any matters that arose or may arise directly from the investigation. Well, this indictment didn't arise from your investigation. It arose from a pre-existing investigation, even assuming that double I is a valid delegation because it's open-ended. Mr. Dreben for special counsel. So I would take a different look at that, the way this order works, than your honor's description for a couple of reasons. The first is that in provision C, which is in the order, the special counsel is authorized to prosecute matters that arose from the investigation that is described early in the preamble and in BI and BII. So we're not limited in our prosecution authority to crimes that would fit within the precise description that was issued in this public order. If the investigation is valid, the crimes that arose from that investigation are within the special counsel's authority to prosecute. The court, even though it didn't arise from your investigation, arose from a pre-existing investigation. Well, the investigation was inherited by the special counsel. Judge, that's right. But your argument says, even though the investigation was really done by the Justice Department, handed to you, and then you're now using it, as I indicated before, as a means of persuading Mr. Manafort to provide information— it's vernacular, by the way. It's been here a long time. The vernacular is to sing. That's what prosecutors use. But what you've got to be careful of is they may not just sing. They may also compose. I can see a few veteran defense counsel here, and they have spent a good deal of time in this courtroom trying to persuade a jury that there wasn't singing. There was composing going on. In other words, that his client is being brutally pressured to compose rather than just sing. But in any event, finish up, the judge said, and then I'll come back to the defendant. Well, Your Honor, we are the Justice Department. We are not separate from the Justice Department. The acting attorney general appointed us to complete investigations and to conduct the investigations that are described in the order. In addition, the acting attorney general has made clear in testimony before Congress that this order does not reflect the details of the matters that were assigned to us for investigation. And the word arose from that's contained in B and not a full and completed description that means to be judicially enforceable of the matters that were entrusted. Then the judge says, so it's written by lawyers but not intended to be judicially enforceable? It's the, Mr. Breeden says, it's certainly not intended to be judicially. The court interrupts. I think you are better off arguing that it's very broad and that the matters that are here are well within it. But to say that you can write a letter delegating a job to somebody but don't pay any attention to the scope of it is not very persuasive, to say the least. What we don't want in this country is we don't want anyone with unfettered power. We don't want federal judges with unfettered power. We don't want elected officials with unfettered power. We don't want anybody, including the President of the United States, nobody to have unfettered power. So it's unlikely you're going to persuade me that the special prosecutor has unlimited powers to do anything he or she wants. By the way, your office was appointed, you say, in May 2017. Is there any requirement that you make reports periodically to the attorney general? Yes. Does that include financial? I think you were given $10 million to begin with. We have proposed a budget and had a budget approved. Of $10 million, asked the judge? I believe that's correct. Have you spent that yet? I'm not in a position to talk about what our budget is. Are you in a position to tell me when the investigation will be over? I am not, Your Honor. All right. Well, I understand that, and it isn't pertinent to what I have to decide today. And I understand you're not being in a position to tell me. But I'm sure you're sensitive to the fact that the American people feel pretty strongly about no one having unfettered power. 
We had an interesting judicial conference in the early 90s, I think, on the special prosecutor. And they all appeared. I think it was at the Greenbrier. I was the chair of the judicial conference. It was a very interesting time. There were many special prosecutors who appeared, including my former constitutional law professor, Archie Cox, and others. So I had a wonderful opportunity to meet and speak to them and hear the variety of views. I think you answered my questions, Mr. Breeden. If you want to say anything else, I think I should clarify one thing, Your Honor. We're not operating with unfettered power. We're operating within a framework of regulations that contemplate regular reporting to the acting attorney general who's supervising the work of our office within the framework. Is that Rosenstein? Yes. Is he not recused? (laughs) This judge is a character. Is he not recused? No. He's the acting attorney general who appointed the special counsel and who's operating in the framework of Internal Department of Justice regulations. This is not the Independent Counsel Act that Your Honor was referring to in the conference that you spoke of. This is not a separate court-appointed prosecutor who's operating under statutory independence. We are within the Justice Department. We're being supervised by an acting attorney general who's conferred upon us specific jurisdiction and who regularly is in a position to describe to us the means and bounds of that. There is this record, and he goes on. Yes, I have that right here, and I'm glad you raised it because 75% of it is blocked out. So there's this record, a memorandum, he says, that has issued the, the lawyer on August 2 that explains that crimes that arose from Mr. Manifer's receipt of payments from Ukraine is within our jurisdiction. And then the court says, yeah, I have that right here. And I'm glad you raised it because 75% of it is blocked out, redacted. Why don't I have a full copy of it? Well, the only paragraphs, Your Honor, that are pertinent to Mr. Manafort are the ones that are contained in this record. Well, let me use a phrase that I'm fond of that I used to use with my children. I can't use it with my wife, but I'll be the judge of that. I'll be the judge of whether it relates to the others. I think you should give me under seal to be sure, and you can do it ex parte if you wish, meaning just them and the judge. Under seal ex parte, a complete copy of the August 2nd, and I'll be the judge of whether it has anything to do with Mr. Manafort. Well, Your Honor, if I could ask leave to consult with the relevant components of the intelligence community, because that is a classified document, the judge, well, yes, of course you may do that. If any part of it's classified, it won't surprise you to know that a district judge is fully cleared. In fact, I have several espionage trials underway. If SIPA is needed, we will involve it and use it. But I don't think it will be necessary. I just want to be sure I understand it fully. I will continue with this rendition when we return. Mark Lovin. Anyway, that's the bulk of it. Bulk of that part of the of uh, the transcript of what took place Friday in the courtroom. There's much more. Um, I'm just skeptical of a lot of these judges. I'm skeptical of a lot of these judges. When they drive home at night in the Washington, D.C. area, many of them listen to this program. How do I know? Because when you go to Federalist Society meetings, they tell you that. And this is a very popular program among federal judges, as it turns out. So I just say to Judge T.S. Ellis the third, I hope you meant what you said in that courtroom. I hope it wasn't just blather. We'll find out soon enough. But he won't be the final word anyway. Mr. Mueller wants to plow ahead with his subpoena for the reasons I've explained over and over and then 
the additional information I've provided with you today, what the purpose of impeachment is and so forth. Really, the administration, the president has a duty to take it all the way to the Supreme Court and let the chips fall where they may. I don't terribly trust the Supreme Court either. So far afield have we gone from our constitutional system, but you have to keep fighting. You got to keep fighting. I'll be right back. defend liberty and defeat tyranny call the mark levin show now at 877-381-3811 jeez looking at this back into the muck back into the muck we got breaking news i guess this is breaking news now right from the new yorker i'm looking at the right scoop website you know the attorney general of uh New York is particularly loathsome. His name is Eric Schneiderman. And Eric Schneiderman's being accused of sexual assault by how many women, Mr. Producer? Four. Four. Ronan Farrow is writing the piece in The New Yorker. And we'll get into this a little later. Uh, But there you have that. But we have this too. Big news. In the last two weeks, Simply Safe won Editor's Choice Awards from CNET Magazine, PC Magazine, and The Wirecutter, three respected product testers. They put Simply Safe through a battery of tests, compared it to other home security products, and Simply Safe won every time. I've been telling you about Simply Safe for a while now. We have it. My opinion, it's the best home security system hands down. They protect over 2 million Americans. Now, this is a home security system you actually want in your home. The sensors are tiny, and you won't notice them. It's unbelievably easy to use. You can control it right from your phone. Here's the most important reason. It isn't a gadget. It's comprehensive protection for all your windows, your doors, your entire home, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Professional alarm monitoring there for you around the clock, just $15 a month. No contracts, no wires, the cutting-edge technology. No one else is doing it like this. No one else. Now, learn more about how Simply Safe can protect your family and your home in a serious and comprehensive way. Just go to simplysafemark.com. That's simplysafemark.com. Simplysafemark.com. Mr. Producer, Michael Flynn. Now, when Michael Flynn was fired by the president, uh, it was said that he hadn't been truthful with the vice president of the United States. I took some umbrage. I took some umbrage. This is a hero, a lieutenant general, the first to throw in with Trump, who was badly abused by the Obama regime. And... um, this business is very, it's like dominoes. Somebody says something, then all the dominoes fall. They kind of all line up. I said, no, 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 wait a minute. I've met this man. I don't know him that well, but I met him once. And then they went after his son. Remember that, Mr. Producer? They went after his son, squeezing his son. So, whoa, what the hell is this? This was Mueller early on. They're going after his son? 
kind of crap is that to do to a father, a, a retired lieutenant general, a hero? And then, of course, they had unmasked his name. And I said, you'll remember, Mark, what is that? So we put all the little pieces together. And then he pled. And I talked about that. He pled because he was going bankrupt. It turns out he's lost his home. And his family was very, very upset. So he stood up for his family, stood up for his son, and he pled. That's not justice. And I said it at the time. Matter of fact, Mr. Producer, let's play a little piece of this. I don't have it in front of me. Should we start with cut one? Go ahead. Since it's been bouncing around and since uh, Lieutenant General retired Mike Flynn is under vicious assault, I'm going to show you something that most of the uh, pom-pom boys and the Rockettes in this business won't show you, and that is loyalty. Loyalty to a man who is a patriot, loyalty to a man who's being attacked by miscreants and malcontents, and slime balls trying to take him out. Loyalty to a man who is under attack by certain elements within the White House and certainly by the media. You see, there are groups and individuals and entities out there who are looking to take out some of these staffers around Donald Trump. A lot of them don't like Mike Flynn. They don't like Mike Flynn because when he was lieutenant general, the guy, uh, he, didn't, uh, he didn't take fools very, very lightly. Not only that, after he left, he went on Fox and other places and was extremely critical of Obama, extremely critical of the defense establishment and the intelligence establishment and their handling of ISIS, among others. And, no, not, and he is not a kiss-up to Vladimir Putin. No, he's not. Now, I've met this man on one or two occasions. I don't know him, not well. And he's a wonderful patriot. Go ahead and Google his background. This man has helped protect the nation, and we have to listen to fools like Ben Cardin of Maryland, some clown from Delaware, another clown from Connecticut, men who believe that, that the Ninth Circuit's decision on due process is a good one, so terrorists can flow into this country. I mean, what are we becoming? All of a sudden now, Mike Flynn is controversial. Now, we're going to get into this. All right, okay? let's stop. I'm, I'm back live, and I, get, I spent a lot of time on this. This was February 13, 2017, over a year ago. And I had to spend a lot of time on this because my colleagues in this business threw this Mike Flynn under the bus. Or they ignored him. And remember, they were threatening him with the Logan Act. That's Sally Yates. The Logan Act, which we've talked about at great length over the years, which is a really a phony act. And yet that was the hook that Sally Yates had used. So they were setting this poor guy up, unmasking his name. Somebody at the White House did it. Leaking it to the media. Surveilling him, in my humble opinion, as I said at the time. Lieutenant General, because they wanted to take him out. Went after his son. The Logan Act. And then there were people like Brett Stevens on MSNBC. This guy is a real, a real piece of work. I'd say something else, but obviously I can't. And he acts like, oh, the Logan Act, this is very serious. Cut three, go. 
How do conservatives explain this? Are they making the argument it would be normal during the transition time for any team to speak to other countries? You know, I remember back in 1990, 1991, Jimmy Carter was doing some freelance uh, diplomacy on the eve of the uh, the war in Kuwait. And the Bush administration, the, the senior Bush administration, seriously thought about uh, charging or threatening former President Carter with the Logan Act because there is a rule in this country that we have one president at a time. Now, it happened that uh, at least... Now, this guy obviously is an idiot. Uh, he doesn't talk about Ted Kennedy uh, undermining Reagan over and over and over again or uh, Pelosi meeting with Assad <clears throat> undermining our president there. He doesn't talk about Jim Wright with Nicaragua. No, no, no. He just out to slam conservatives because he's a goofball. Go ahead. The Obama administration was doing something I didn't like politically, which is it was allowing a resolution against Israel that, that I opposed. Nonetheless, it is the constitutional right even of a presidency in its final days to conduct the foreign policy of the United States without interference. And what conservatives will say is, well, of course, but they were doing sort of preparatory work because they're about to come into office. But this wasn't preparatory work. This wasn't, you know, let me get to know you. This was help us obstruct a, a goal of an outgoing no, it administration. Wasn't. No, it wasn't in the least. And you, you clown, you owe an apology to Mike Flynn. You owe an apology to Mike Flynn. You're a reprobate. Logan Act, go ahead. What's sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. No Republican administration would want an incoming Democratic administration to do this. So Republicans should take this seriously. People say it's the Logan Act. It's 218 years old. It's still a law in the books. It's still a law in the books, right. You know, anti-sodomy laws are still laws in the books in some places. I wonder what Brett Stevens would say about that. <clears throat> should those laws be enforced, Brett? Be curious. Not really. Um, the Logan Act. That is a fig leaf that's thrown around and so forth. So John Kerry is out there undermining this president and undermining what he wants to do with the phony Iran deal, which has lies all through it. Lies all through it. And so immediately I went to my social sites and I said, whoa, are the Democrats going to attack John Kerry for violating the Logan Act? I'm sometimes hesitant to do stuff like that because my social sites are monitored by the media and by other people in this business. But I thought I needed to do it because I wasn't going to be on the air for a couple of days. But it's true, isn't it? And you will not hear this discussed in any serious way now on MSNBC or CNN or any place else. Look, ladies and gentlemen, I try to be as straight down with you as possible, consistent, Maybe it doesn't always work out that way, but to show you integrity, because I respect you, I respect my audience, and that's what you expect. These media outlets have no integrity, none whatsoever, none whatsoever. They're not hammering away at, at John Kerry. They're telling you that Trump's hammering away at John Kerry or somebody else's, but they're not hammering away at, at John Kerry the way they were hammering away at Mike Flynn and so forth, because it's a, a joke. It's disgusting. But I want to welcome conservatives and pseudo-conservatives in the media back into the fold, in the pro-Mike Flynn fold, because Flynn was set up, and he was set up from day one. 
And, not, and I don't need Jim Comey or the FBI investigators to tell me that they didn't think the man lied. He didn't, he didn't show the physical appearances, you know, nervousness, sweat, and so forth, indicating he lied. He didn't lie. We knew he didn't lie. Those of us who understand how this goes, he was set up. And I want to thank Mr. Nunes again. Mr. Nunes again for his investigation and for getting this redaction unredacted. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, uh, more than one million children became victims of identity theft in 2017. And families paid four five hundred and forty million dollars out of pocket to cover the cost of the fraud. Kids' identities are worth tons on the black market. Thieves open accounts and parents don't find out for years, often when they apply for financial aid for college or something like that. It's a big, big problem. With school and medical records now digitized and even young kids routinely online, the risk is growing faster than ever. But you don't need to worry because you can protect your family right now with my ID care. My ID care covers you for the nine types of identity theft, including child ID theft with great family plans. And they provide a 100% identity recovery guarantee or your money back. That's the difference between my ID care for the other guy, from the other guys. You need top tier identity recovery and they stand by it with their guarantee. You and your kids need protection and you need my ID care. Learn more and get 15% off at myidcare.com slash mark. It's that simple. Myidcare.com slash mark or call their exclusive toll-free number for our audience. 866-334-3084. That's 866-334-3084. Once again, 866-334-3084 or myidcare.com slash mark. All right, let's get this out of the way, too. We've dealt with Flynn. Now let's deal with the Russian indictments. Again, if you're here, you already know all this. We're going to circle, hit it, and then we're going to move on because we've got the New York Attorney General with his pants down, which I definitely want to hit next hour. Cut, what is it, 14, Mr. Producer, go. This is a bogus case. These 13 indictments are of serious constitutional doubt. Serious constitutional doubt. And moreover, they'll never see the light of day because these people will never be brought into American courts. They're operating out of Russia. And as I also pointed out Friday, they try to interfere with our election and we bring phony indictments. Is that what Mueller has? Is that where Mueller is? No. He's trampsing around looking for other laws because there's so many laws out there financial laws, tax laws. He's looking for whatever he can to smear as many people around Trump as he possibly can, to break them financially, to ruin them publicly with leaks to the media. This is what he and this guy Weissman and all these other clowns are known for in order to uh, to get some scalps, whether they mm-hmm. deserve it or not. All right, so and now what's happened is, of course, uh, representatives, at least some of these uh, Russian trolls have said, okay, we're here. Where's your evidence? I mean, it's such, it, it was such a stupid ploy by Manafort that, that the Russians are outsmarting the idiot by Manafort, by Mueller, 
by Mueller, that the Russians are outsmarting the idiot. They circle back and say, okay, let's see your case. What are you charging us with? Uh, what? Where's your evidence? Uh, uh, what? Yeah, okay. And the judge, they go to the judge. Can we have a two-week delay? No. Uh, why don't you show them what you're basically accusing them of? You know, the media built this Mueller up like he's, uh, like he's one of the greatest prosecutors the world has ever seen. He's actually a complete screw-up. He's a man who's had very, very powerful positions. And these, these open-ended budgets for hiring whomever he wants, and of course you see what he hires, what kind of judgment he has. And he's always shoot first, questions later. Always, always with the, uh, with the, you know, the man is not seeking justice. A prosecutor has a responsibility to be tempered, to have judgment. The prosecutor is supposed to represent you and me, the state, the people. And what Mueller has decided is he's going to represent certain people in certain parts of the state. He is really a dim-witted old man. That's what he is. He's a dim-witted old man. I don't care if he served in the military. It's what he's doing now that matters. He's a dim-witted old man. Brings in a bunch of loser prosecutors who only have power because they're given power. All of like mind. Burn and destroy. Burn and destroy. That's what they're about. Cheered on by a Democrat party that has nothing but contempt for America's institutions and traditions. Who thinks America, America ought to be absolutely transformed into something we can't even describe. Look what this country would be if Adam Schiff were in charge. Look at this country would be if Chuck Schumer were in charge. Look at this country would be if Robert Mueller was in charge of justice in this country. What the hell would we be living in? Some kind of police state. Where private property is disrespected, where individualism is disrespected, where our borders are wide open. Wide open. Why? Is it good for the country? Look at the phony arguments they make about that. Look what they've done to our justice system here. Letting criminals out of prison. Oh, criminal justice reform. Are you out of your minds? Unbelievable what's going on in this country. Mueller, Mueller, Mueller. Jackass is a bureaucrat. He's appointed a special counsel by another jackass who's a bureaucrat, Rosenstein. And they've been controlling the narrative in this country, been controlling the media in this country, have the media been controlling them. It's just day after day after day. Two jackass bureaucrats in the media. I've had it up to here. They're going to overturn an election based on what? Hey, did you intend to, why did you intend to fire Comey? Shove it. It's none of your damn business. I'll see you in court. That's the answer. Hey, uh, what did you mean when you criticized the Attorney General? Who gives a... None of your damn business. None of your damn business what I meant. Now get lost or file your papers. I don't want to see you on the steps of the White House. Backdoor even. I'll be right back. He's here. He's here. Now broadcasting.
Coming from the underground command post. Deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker. Somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building. We've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin here, our number 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Well, 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 guess we have to look at this. I wonder what Kanye West would say about this, Mr. Producer. New Yorker piece, it's up there on the Drudge Report as well as other locations now. Let's just get into this briefly, shall we, ladies and gentlemen? I'm sure this will be all over MSLSD and CNN, just as the Joy Reid story was, and her horrific homophobic rants from the past. Eric Schneiderman, New York's Attorney General, has long been a liberal Democratic champion of women's rights. Recently, he's become an outspoken figure in the Me Too movement against sexual harassment. As New York State's highest-ranking law enforcement officer... Schneiderman, who's 63, has used his authority to take legal action against the disgraced film mogul Harvey Weinstein and to demand greater compensation for the victims of Weinstein's alleged sexual crimes. Last month, when the Times and this magazine were awarded a joint Pulitzer Prize for coverage of sexual harassment, Schneiderman issued a congratulatory tweet praising, quote, the brave women and men who spoke up about the sexual harassment they'd endured at the hands of powerful men. Without these women, he noted, there would not be the critical nation reckoning underway. Now Schneiderman is facing a reckoning of his own. As his prominence as a voice against sexual misconduct has risen, so too has the distress of four women with whom he had romantic relationships or encounters. They accuse Schneiderman of having subjected them to non-consensual physical violence. All have been reluctant to speak out fearing reprisal. But two of the women, Michelle Manning Barish and Tanya Silveranum, have talked to the New Yorker on the record because they feel that doing so could protect other women. They allege, listen to this, that he repeatedly hit them, often after drinking, frequently in bed, and never with their consent. Let's see, hit somebody drinking without consent. Doesn't that sound like rape, Mr. Producer? I'd say the Attorney General should look into this, but he is the Attorney General. Manning Barish and Savaratnam categorized the abuse he afflicted on them as assault. They did not report their allegations to the police. What is with the governorship of uh, the, the, what is it? We, We had this other one, Spitzer. What's with the Attorney General job in New York? You have to be a head case? You have to be a, a psychopath? Uh, They did not report their allegations to the police at the time, but both say that they eventually sought medical attention after having been slapped hard across the ear and face and also choked. Savaratnam says that Schneiderman warned her he could have her followed and her phones tapped, and both say that he threatened to kill them if they broke up with him. Schneiderman's spokesperson said that he never made any of these threats. Now, I could have sworn that the mantra is, the allegation is to be believed. A third former romantic partner of Schneiderman's told Manning Barish 
and Savaratnam that he also repeatedly subjected her to non-consensual physical violence. But she told them that she's too frightened of him to come forward. A fourth woman, an attorney who has held prominent positions in the New York legal community, says that Schneiderman made an advance toward her when she rebuffed him. He slapped her across the face with such force that it left a mark that lingered the next day. She recalls screaming in surprise and pain and beginning to cry and says she felt frightened. She has asked to remain unidentified but shared a photograph of the injury with the New Yorker. Now listen to what this piece of crap says. In a statement, Schneiderman says, quote, In the privacy of intimate relationships, I have engaged in role-playing and other consensual sexual activity. I have not assaulted anyone. I have never engaged in non-consensual sex, which is a line I would not cross. Pal, I think you cross that line. I think you cross that line a lot. And you're physically abusing women? Do you know how low that is, man? But don't worry, he's a liberal. Manning Barish was romantically involved with Schneiderman from the summer of 2013 until New Year's Day in 2015. Savaratnam was with him from the summer of 2016 to the fall of 2017. Both are articulate, progressive, democratic feminists in their 40s who live in Manhattan. By the way, what if they weren't Democrat feminists and progressives? Does it still matter? They work and socialize in different circles, and although they have become aware of each other's stories, they have only a few overlapping acquaintances. To this day, they've never spoken to each other. In February, four months after the first stories about Weinstein broke, Schneiderman announced that his office was filing a civil rights suit against him. Now, let's just stop a second. You understand what a psycho this guy is? When, when the public doesn't know, he's beating women. He's sexually assaulting them, apparently, or whatever he's accused of. He's leaving bruise marks on women. And then, in the public light, he's the champion of women. In February, four months after the first stories about Weinstein broke, Schneiderman announced his office was filing the civil rights suit. He goes to a press conference and all the rest. Schneiderman's activism on behalf of feminist causes has increasingly won him praise from women's groups. Well, of course. On May 1st, the New York-based National Institute for Reproductive Health honored him, and it goes on. This is pretty sick. I wonder what they're going to say about him over at MoveOn.org and Think Progress. How about Media Matters? This is their great hero, you know. So he's a woman beater. He's a woman abuser. And if he had sex with women without their consent and physically assaulted them in many jurisdictions, we would call that rape. Now, we'll see what happens. They got a full plate there in the uh, Manhattan District Attorney's Office. What with chasing down Weinstein, another liberal Democrat, now Schneiderman, liberal Democrat. They probably just finished with uh, the other one, Spitzer, those Matters are probably over now. It's busy with that one. Very busy there. That's pretty sick. I wanted to comment on something else. I'm very uncomfortable about this, but I felt I needed to comment on it. Over the weekend, I read that in John McCain's book, and I'm paraphrasing, 
he essentially says that he wanted to pick Lieberman in his running mate, and he should have picked Lieberman, meaning he should not have picked Palin. You know, that's just flat-out mean. Flat-out mean. What, what, when you write something like that, when you say something, what, what do you think Sarah Palin's thinking when you say something like that? She's been nothing but loyal to John McCain, even up to this day. I haven't talked to her about it. I don't talk to her at all, other than we, she was on my program a few weeks ago. Lovely lady, lovely lady. She didn't do anything against John McCain. John McCain picked her. But even if you believe that in your final days, seriously, why, why would you say something so hurtful to somebody or about somebody? And you're doing an audio book and there's an HBO special? You know, we'll all confront our maker in our own way. No question about that. And everybody can choose whatever way they wish. I intend to do confront my maker or be with him quietly, hopefully with family surrounding me. No politics, no books, no audio books, no HBO series, none of it. It also turns out I was reading, I believe it was a National Review. Uh, from an excerpt in the book that uh, after John McCain was the vote that prevented us from killing Obamacare, he got a call from Obama praising him and thanking him. The damage that that vote has done and will do will resonate for decades because of what a disastrous program Obamacare is and it deals with life and death and health and illness and John McCain voted against what was really not the greatest bill in terms of repeal and so forth but it was something and he voted against it and of course he's proud of it when you read the news reports obviously he's extremely sick and he may well be close to passing and I should say in the last many months I've been as respectful as possible and I, I will continue to be. But I, I have found his political career uh, as separated from the rest of it to be very troubling. It was at the hacks on the First Amendment. His massive spending that he supported all during the Bush administration. Uh, his position on uh, immigration, which is not, in my view, humane at all. I think it was reckless. And uh, his his very bitter, in some cases vicious comments about conservatives and other colleagues that he didn't like. And I just wish, you know, in the final days, if that's where we are here, this book and the rest of it. You, you don't need to settle scores. You don't need to say things like that. I'm just saying it. It's, it's just very, very mean what he did to Palin. Whatever his thoughts were. Utterly unnecessary. And of course, he will be praised by the media. He will be praised by the Democrats. He yearns for this. He's always yearned for this. I don't get it. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. 
sanctuary cities and so forth, from time to time I try to make arguments to really crystallize the issue, right? So I've been talking about maybe some of these conservative counties ought to have sanctuary cities for the Second Amendment. And I do it often. I'll give you an example. On April 19, 2017, we were talking about violence and so forth. So a little over a year ago, here's what I said. Cut for go. We have a constitution in this country. And these administrators at these left-wing institutions, so incestuous, left-wing administrators, left-wing faculty, that's why we have violence now on our college campuses. We have this neo-Confederate movement going on that I keep talking about and have for months. Oh, we're a sanctuary city. No, you're lawless left-wing kooks, and it's time to put you down. Follow the law. Believe me when I tell you, if we had conservatives running conservative towns and counties and states saying, guess what? We're a sanctuary city for the Second Amendment. No gun laws. What do you think would happen? What do you think the media would do? What do you think the feds would do? So we have the modern-day equivalent of the Confederacy, the neo-Confederates, who reject our constitutional order every bit as much as the Confederacy did. They're nullifying federal law. So, I'm looking at the various media reports this morning, and there's the Associated Depressed. From uh, 6.54 a.m. Eastern, I guess Central, Chicago. Several rural Illinois counties have taken a stand for gun rights by opting a word that conservatives associate with a liberal policy to skirt the law. Sanctuary. At least five counties recently passed resolutions declaring themselves sanctuary counties for gun owners. There you go. A reference to so-called sanctuary cities such as Chicago that don't cooperate with aspects of federal immigration uh, enforcement. The resolutions are meant to put the Democrat-controlled legislature on notice that if it passes a host of gun bills, including new age restrictions for certain weapons, a bump stock ban and size limit for gun magazines. The counties might bar their employees from enforcing the laws. It's a buzzword, a word that really gets attention. With all these sanctuary cities, we just decided to turn it around to protect our Second Amendment rights, said David Campbell, vice chair of the Effington County Board. He said at least 20 Illinois counties and local officials in Oregon and Washington have asked for copies of Effington County's resolution. This little brush fire revolution started right here. You, Levinites, you spread the word. Okay, you want to go Sanctuary City? We'll go Sanctuary City. Exactly what I've been encouraging. We'll do it on the Second Amendment. Cities saying to their states, towns saying to their states, their left-wing blue states. Okay, great. Now we're going to play the Sanctuary game. We're not enforcing your gun control laws. You got to love it, don't you, Mr. Producer? County officials fear their state legislatures won't be able to stop the passage of the gun restrictions because they're outnumbered by lawmakers from in and around Chicago, where the vast majority of more than 650 homicides last year involved guns. Co-opting the sanctuary title is also a way of drawing attention to the rural-urban political divide that was so stark in the last general election. All right, they can analyze it all they want. The point is this. It is time to fight back. The lawlessness is spreading across the country on the left, spreading across the country. The instrumentalities of our government, 
increasingly lawless. Increasingly lawless. We even have federal judges in their rulings against Trump on immigration. Lawless. So, sanctuary, nullification, (coughs) nullification, Second Amendment. That's fine by us. Something I've been encouraging, and I mean it. And it doesn't just have to be the Second Amendment. It could be other things, too. But that particularly bothers them, even though it's in the Bill of Rights. That really gets them. Okay, good. Now, what are these states going to do, these sanctuary states, about their little sanctuary counties and their little sanctuary towns? Oh, you know, uh, they, they support federalism, don't No, they don't support federalism. They support ends justify the means. That's what they support. That's what they've always been about. By the way, you know, during the break, I, I was reading more about the Schneiderman guy. Holy mackerel, what a... Listen to this one. About four weeks after they became physically involved, this is a Manning uh, Barish, I believe. She says Schneiderman grew violent. One night, they were in the bedroom of his Upper West Side apartment. Now, man of the people. Still clothed, but getting ready for bed and lightly baiting each other. As she recalls it, he called her a whore. And she talked back. They had both been drinking, and her recollection of their conversations blurry, but what happened next remains vivid. Schneiderman, she says, backed her up to the edge of the bed. All of a sudden, he just slapped me open-handed and with great force across the face, landing the blow directly onto my ear, she says. It was horrendous. It just came out of nowhere. My ear was ringing. I lost my balance, fell backward onto the bed. I sprang up, but at this point, there was very little room between the bed and him. I got up to try to shove him back to take a swing, and he pushed me back down. He then used his body weight to hold me down, and he began to choke me. Choking was very hard. It was really bad. I kicked in every fiber. I felt I was being beaten by a man. Congratulations, New York. There's your attorney general. I'll be right back. Straight and narrow pass. You have a guide. Mark Levin. Call him now at 877-381-3811. You know, uh, the countdown to Mother's Day is on. It's not a drill. You only have six days left to get Mom a gorgeous bouquet from 1-800-Flowers.com. I did this over the weekend, so I want to strongly encourage you to do it now. And so to help you get out of this jam, 1-800-Flowers is offering an amazing deal that mom would approve of. Today only. Hello, today only. And today's almost over. When you order a dozen sorbet roses, 1-800-Flowers will give you an extra half dozen free, plus a vase for only $29.99. That's right. Buy a dozen sorbet roses, get half a dozen, plus a free vase for only $29.99. Now, obviously... This limited time offer ends today. So on the East Coast, we're a little after 8.30. So you only have a couple hours. So you're going to need to move quickly. And uh, this, these are beautiful roses. You ought to go check them out. It's an impressive mix of pastel shades and pink, orange, lavender. These roses are guaranteed to make your mom, your wife, your girlfriend smile. Roses are the perfect way to surprise all the moms in your life. Yep. Did I mention grandma and your aunt and your sister too? These breathtaking roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak. 
and they're shipped overnight to ensure freshness. Buy a dozen sorbet roses, get half a dozen free, plus a free vase for only twenty nine ninety nine. That's an amazing offer, but you have to hurry because it expires in a few hours, literally. Whether you're surprising an aunt, sister, mother, let them know how much you care with 1-800-Flowers.com. To order a dozen sorbet roses, get half a dozen plus a free vase, only twenty nine ninety nine. Here's what you do. Call 1-800-Flowers.com, 1-800-Flowers.com. Go to 1-800-Flowers. Let me start over. Go to 1-800-Flowers.com, click the radio icon, enter code LEVIN. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code LEVIN, 1-800-Flowers.com, code L-E-V-I-N. Harry, because the offer ends in a few hours, it's very, very important you get in there. Well, okay, we've gone from impeachment to psychopath in this Snyderman guy. Absolutely unbelievable. Rosemary, Raleigh, North Carolina on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hi, Mark. Um, I've been listening to you for about two years, and this is the first time I've been able to get through. And I have to tell you, it really truly is an honor to speak with you. Thank you very much. I wanted to respond to a question that you raised last week um, about where are the calendar Republicans in Congress? Why are there only a handful of conservatives in the Freedom Caucus challenging Mueller's unconstitutional overreach of his authority? Right. And I think that this is a very clear and very frightening sign that we all need to see that the Marxists and the Elysiates are winning. Are you, are you speaking into the mouthpiece? Because it's very muffled. I'm trying to hear you. Okay. Is this better? Yes, it is. Thank you. Okay. Uh, what I was saying is I think this is a very clear and a very frightening sign that we all need to see. And what it is is that the Marxists and the Alinskyites are winning. And what we're witnessing right now in the United States of America is the beginnings of tyranny. I mean, look, Mark, the American people spoke up in 2016 when we duly elected Donald Trump over Hillary Clinton because we agreed with and we approved of his vision for America, and we did not approve of hers. As, as you have said, rightfully, you pointed out, the left will not accept defeat. So since the very day after his election, they've been working relentlessly with the media, not only to remove him from the presidency, but to thoroughly destroy him Mm -hmm. and to destroy his family, anyone who's involved with him politically or professionally. All right, my friend, you're so right. I could not agree more. Thank you, Rosemary. Alicia, Rio Rancho, New Mexico, XM Satellite. How are you? I'm fine. Thank you. I have a really important question that I think only you can answer. Mm-hmm. You know, the First Amendment gives us five protections. Everybody, well, many people over the age of 30 or something know right. freedom of religion, speech, press, right to peacefully assemble the progs and the, you know, progressives forget that one, mm-hmm. the peacefully part of it. And the petition to mm-hmm. govern... Uh, to petition the government for right. a redress of grievances. Right. Why can't Flynn and, uh, oh, this other guy, uh, um, Michael Caputo, are going bankrupt? Okay, why can't they what? Why can't they petition the government and get their money back? That's not what that really means. What that means is 
the right to lobby your government, <clears throat> the right to communicate with your government. I mean, they can petition the government, get their money back. I don't know where they would do that. But uh, in the context of the First Amendment, it really has nothing with the right to petition to get your money back. That's why when people say we ought to outlaw lobbying, which, of course, sounds great, you can't because it's protected under the First Amendment. You're allowed to lobby your legislatures, your legislators, members of Congress and so forth. All right, my friend, I appreciate your call. President Trump plans a Iran decision on Tuesday, tomorrow, as allies urge him to keep the deal. It's not just allies, Mr. Producer, right? It's some of the leaders in, in Congress. Aren't they urging him to stick to the deal, too? Cut five. Go ahead. Should President Trump pull out of the Iran nuclear deal next Saturday, by next Saturday, even if the Europeans decide to stay in it and continue to do business with Tehran? Um, I, I would counsel against it. Uh, I was opposed to the Iran deal. I thought it was a bad deal. Uh, Iran got most of the benefit up front with relief of sanctions and a plain load of cash. That oh, President wait, wait, wait. Who is this, Trey Gowdy? Mark Thornberry? Mac Thornberry? He would counsel against it of, uh, of Texas. Why do I care what Mark Thornberry, Mac Thornberry has to say? He's chairman of the Armed Services Committee. Why would I care what he has to say? We know enough about this deal. I would count. Why does everybody sound like Trey Gowdy, by the way? I would counsel against it. Go ahead. So we lost a lot of our leverage. But the key question. All right. All right let, let, me, let me help this guy. It's not a matter of leverage, pal. It's a matter of taking out that regime. And they could be taken out without firing a shot. You may be familiar with Ronald Reagan, but maybe you're too young. The point is this. You got to unload your sanctions on this government. You got you to gotta weaken their currency. There are ways to do this. There are a lot of things that could be done to this government. You know, we seem to think that, these, that they're all uh, uh, going to survive no matter what. You know, the Russian economy is on its back. You know, our economy is four or five times bigger than the Chinese economy. If we want to take that economy, we can, we can take them down too. I'm not encouraging it. I'm just saying in the case of Iran, we can. So I, I don't get this guy. Go ahead. Okay, now we are where we are. What happens next if the U.S. pulls out? Do the, Secretary Mattis talked about the inspectors that are in there. Does Iran kick those inspectors out? Yes, so they kick the inspectors out, but the inspectors aren't inspecting what they need to inspect. Now, are they? By the way, Mad Dog Mattis, that's a joke. He's the weakest of the bunch. He's the weakest of the bunch. And... Uh, I would tell this guy Thornberry's coming off like a real dolt. No, we can't get back what the Obama administration surrendered. But you now see half a ton of evidence of what the Iranians were doing. They lied. You act like the U.N. inspectors were going to kick them out. Like the U.N. inspectors weren't anywhere near that building where the half a ton of information was. What is with this constant appeasement of Iran? Go ahead. We have there. The Europeans are not going to reimpose sanctions. So where does that leave us and, and Iran? So Oh, well, I guess. Okay, you're right. That's it. Well, I'll tell you where it leaves us, Thornberry. We need to work on France and Germany, in particular France, with a Macron running around the... Uh, the we don't take the lead of the French when it comes to issues like this. Anyway, go ahead. Not necessarily opposed to sticking with this deal forever, 
But you need to have a. He can't stick with the deal forever. It's seven years left in it. I, I can't take this guy. I can't take this guy. He gives no arguments. All right, let's go to a caller. Ed, Raleigh, North Carolina, Sirius Satellite. Go, please. Yes, sir. Hey, I've got a question for you, Mark. I'd like to know why we can't get a judge like this guy on Friday, T.S. Ellis, to issue an injunction against the Mueller special counsel now that we all know it's just a canard for shutting down. All right, right, right. Let's let's get our phrase. (laughs) Judges don't just issue injunctions. Somebody has to ask them to issue an injunction. That's number one. Number two, injunctions don't issue under circumstances like this a criminal case. Either you have the arguments to dock the case out or you don't. You don't need an injunction. An injunction, <clears throat> you have temporary restraining orders and you have injunction. Injunction is something where there's going to be damage in the future, you know, like there's a strike or something like that. You go in and you get an injunction or somebody's going to destroy information. You go in and, and you get a protective order. These are protective orders. They're, they're things to keep the status quo. In a criminal context, it wouldn't apply. Either you can make the case that somebody's rights are being violated or somebody doesn't have investigative authority, or they don't. But in any event, it's never on the initiation of the judge. Okay. No, so I basically, this Judge Ellis, unless he's full of crap and a blowhard and just likes to see his name in the media and conservatives praise him, he damn well better follow through with what he was saying. Otherwise, he's going to look like a complete fool as far as I'm concerned. Don't you agree? I, I do, and I and I think it's actually it's affecting the president and his ability to do his job as commander in chief. I agree, and you're so. Isn't that the bottom line? It absolutely, is with all the lawyers and all. Isn't that the bottom line, Ed? You hit the bottom line, baby. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. I appreciate right. your show and you. Thank you. You too. Take care. Ed's right. That's the bottom line. Sherry, Memphis, Tennessee, the great W R E C. Go. Hi, Mark. Thank you. You are brilliant, and thank you for helping America. I want to say, if we have a Constitution, we have rights and freedoms. If the Constitution is done away with, like the socialists and communists want to, and then they want to create a utopia, we will never have a utopia because we will have despots and dictators like Lenin and Stalin and people who are corrupt (laughs) at the top of the government, like Hillary and Mueller, who, who oppress uh, the Americans, and instead they tell us what to think and what. I'm to sorry. Do. I'm sorry. There is a there is a progressive socialist Marxist utopia on, on Earth. You know where it is? <laughs> where? Venezuela. <laughs> there it is. Well, There's the end result. There's the lab experiment right there, and you can go to other lab experiments. Mao's China? No, no. Stalin's right? No, 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 no. Castro's Cuba? No, 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 no. no. You can go on and on and on. Mugabe, Zimbabwe. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You don't understand. They didn't do it right. Look at Scandinavia. Look at Scandinavia. All right, my friend. Thank you for your call. We'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Iran deal, but now we need to keep it. Why? Well, what else are we going to do? Well, what would have happened if you didn't vote for it, if it, it hadn't passed in the first place, Einstein? You know, whenever a major crisis strikes, be it a hurricane, wildfire, earthquake, cyber terrorism, we see emergency personnel get overwhelmed, which means they can't rescue everyone as fast as they need to. The truth is you 
are the best first responder? You. It's our responsibility, each of us, to prepare so we can protect our families in a crisis. This is the day to build your emergency food supply. Get this special double offer from my friends at My Patriot Supply. Buy a two-week emergency food kit and get one free. That's right. Buy one, get one free. Call 800-294-2325 or order online at preparewithmark.com. Now, these foods last up to 25 years in storage. Both two-week emergency food kits are shipped free, discreetly, to your home. Supplies of this buy one, get one offer are limited. Do this now and know you're prepared for the worst. 800-294-2325 or preparewithmark.com. 800-294-2325 or preparewithmark.com. Okay, here I wanted to mention one other thing before I leave the air here, and that is this. You know Deborah Burlingame, her brother was murdered on the Pentagon flight on 9-11. Gina Haspel is the nominee to lead the Central Intelligence Agency. She would be the first female director. Not that that matters to me, but it used to matter to liberals. But of course, they lie. If you're not a liberal, it doesn't matter what, what you are. And they're trashing her. They're trashing this Gina Haspel, who was involved in trying to protect us after 9-11. And as Burlingame points out, they're attacking this woman, the very person who was protecting us during this incredibly difficult period in our lives. And this program that they used for getting information was not torture. They were interrogation techniques. I don't care how much the big lie goes out there. And they netted Actionable intelligence, as Burlingame writes. Actionable intelligence. And um, this nominee to head the uh, CIA, Haspel, used to get bipartisan support. That is, including from Democrats. Was praised. But they're in such a, a destroy and burn mode, the Democrats. They don't care. They don't care at all. They don't care that this is a woman. They don't care that she's a patriot. They don't care about all the wonderful things she did after 9-11 to to try and protect the nation. Instead, we got to hear about Kamala Harris. Who the hell's Kamala Harris? Well, a left-wing kook. Oh, Kamala Harris, president. Gina Haspel, who actually did something. No, 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 we have to destroy her. No, we don't have to destroy her. Any Republican who doesn't vote to confirm her is a disgrace. Looking back on this woman and what wonderful things she did. As Burlingame writes, how can Congress ask dedicated CIA officers to fulfill their responsibility to protect the country from future attacks, knowing that their careers might be in jeopardy or that they might be subject to prosecution depending on shifting political winds? Gina Haspel has accumulated an exemplary record of achievement in her 33 years, 33 years with the CIA. The rank and file of the agency and 53 former CIA senior officials who cumulatively served seven presidents endorse her. Senators must show that they respect, support, and understand the mission of our defenders. Yeah, well, they don't. The Senate's usefulness, as I've said many times, uh, went with the 17th Amendment. 
There's really no purpose for the United States Senate. Even when it comes to the Iran deal, do they insist on treating it as a treaty? Of course not. Senators were supposed to represent their state legislatures, and, and they don't. They represent themselves. And so it's, uh, we have a peculiar thing going on here. All right, let's see what else is going on here. Anyway, she should get confirmed. Lewis, Wichita, Kansas, Mark Levin app, one minute, go. Good evening, sir. Uh, yes, sir. I'd like, to, I'd like to say I've heard people call you a lot of patriotic names, and I agree wholeheartedly. But I'd also like to add Thomas Paine in there because you're nothing but common sense. Okay. Aren't you nice? But, Thank you. Uh, if, if, if everybody wants to see the end of all this DOJ garbage, and that's the most polite word I can use, get up off your derriers, people. Call your uh, representatives. Have your like-minded friends call your representatives. And if you want evil to prevail, do nothing. Excellent call, Lewis. I much appreciate your very kind words. Thank you, sir. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. President President Trump on Iran tomorrow. We're rooting for you. Hang tough. See you tomorrow. And check out Levin TV tonight, too. You're going to love it. Take care.